Memoirs. How are you? All right, so let's see here. So again, welcome to Memoirs, True Stories Unfiltered. I'm working on my whistling. It doesn't work quite yet. So my name is Flip Awesome Aguilera. Thank you for being here. So I created Memoirs to give our community a space to listen, learn, and connect with each other through the telling of our own experiences. So how many of you are here for the first time? So, all right, so all of you that are here for the first time, I know that you're thinking, how can I tell a story to all these people who want to listen to it, right? Who's thinking that? Nobody? Everybody? All right, so if you'd like to tell a story, all you need to do is email us at memoirscos at gmail.com, and we will get the application out to you to be a storyteller, and we will follow up with you. All right, so you can also follow us on the socials, on the Facebook, on the gram. We are Memoirs COS, and we have an exciting thing here. We are going to release the podcast here in, I think, two to three weeks, so keep your eyes peeled for that. So you see on the table that there's these little squares with lines on it. Does everybody see that? So those are anonymous memoirs, and what we do with those is you anonymously put something that has to do with the theme of the night, and where is the uh, basket? Is it back there? So there's a basket back there in that dark corner for you to put the memoir in there, and in between each of the speakers, we will read those memoirs out loud, and we won't say who it is because it is anonymous. So I'd like to thank Eric and the 3E staff. So everybody give 3E's Comedy Club a hand. So make sure you grab a drink and a bite, and this helps support events like Memoirs and this beautiful venue that Eric graciously lets us use. So please take care of your waitstaff as they are excited to take care of you. So Eric, where are you? I saw you walking around. I told you I was gonna call you there, boom! And just like that, he appears. <laughs> hello, hello. Uh, thank you for coming. This has been a great event. I appreciate it, Flip. This is great. Um, welcome to Three's Comedy Club. And we do comedy here. Did you know that? <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, we do. We have some great shows every weekend. Uh, we have a great open mic night on Wednesday. It's, it's, you got to come check it out. Um, it's really fun. It's the, uh, some of our up-and-coming comedians in Colorado Springs. Uh, and Denver, so if you get a chance, come out on Wednesday uh, and check that out. So, uh, and we're starting happy hours, so you can come in after work and have a drink and chill. And so that's going to start next month. So, thank you for coming again, and I will see you next week, right? This weekend. All right. Thank you, Eric. We appreciate you very much. And of course, thank you to Colorado Springs. So give yourselves a hand. What a beautiful crowd we have here at Memoirs. And of course, I'd like to personally thank our courageous storytellers, because it takes a lot to come up here and be vulnerable. So tonight, our storytellers are Maritza Aguilera with Break a Leg, Kat Harp with My Mom is a Superhero, and Garrett Goggins with She Should Know, She Always Knew. And before we get started, I have an anecdote. So this is two thoughts that I was thinking and reading, and I kind of melded them together. So here we go. Let's think about the word destroy. If you take a moment and deconstruct the word, it's easy to see the story. Now let's think about restore. 
When you deconstruct it, we can see re-story. Telling stories is what connects us. It's also a catalyst that can set us free. Now, behind each of our stories is our mother's story, for within her story is where ours begins. And with that, I will call up my lovely wife, Maritza Aguilera, with Break a Leg. So this is a story that I've told many times um, from my own perspective. Uh, so this is a new twist with a little bit more details uh, as I include my mom to be the focal point of the story and not myself. Uh, my mom, Maritza Torres, was born July 15, 1951 in a very small town in Cuba called San Antonio de los Baños. In, two, in, 20, uh, in 2007, Wikipedia said that there was only 40,000 people reported living there. So back in when she was born, I'm sure that there was probably a lot less. She left her homeland of Cuba and migrated to the United States, to Miami, Florida, in August 18, 1967. At only 16 years old, not knowing any English, she en was enrolled in Miami High, which is <laughs> the school that Flip went to also many, many years later. Um, one of the largest schools in Miami at the time. Um, my mom was raised in a very Catholic household. It was very strict. There was no dating. There was no going out by yourself or, you know, dropping off at the mall. No, no, no. None of that stuff happened. It was always with her little sister, uh, with her little half-sister that, that she also migrated here with, with her mom. Um, and there was always studying and school. My mom met my dad in October of 1971. And knowing her upbringing, it's not very surprising that she was married by June 1972. That's just eight months, guys. <laughs> so um, yeah, in eight months, she married my father. Now my father, um, he was born in New York and he moved on to Miami. Uh, he, he had a son with his first wife um, and he didn't want any more kids. So he made sure to let my mother know. Um, back in that time, probably even still a little bit during this time, it's kind of seen as the woman's responsibility to take care of herself and you know, respect her husband's wishes and not get pregnant, not have any kids. So it took her about 10 years, almost 10 years, to gather the courage that she needed to throw all that out the window and on July 26, 1981, I was born. Shortly after that, my dad got snipped. <laughs> so, um, so there's that. Uh, <laughs> sonograms, um, back in the early 80s, sonograms were not a very common thing. They were just starting to be used in pregnancies, but they were only being used if there was a reason to believe that something was wrong. 
both of my parents were young and healthy, and so there was no reason to have it. My mom never had a sonogram when I was, uh, when I was in the womb. Um, but it was very apparent from the moment I took my first breath outside the womb that I was very different. I was born with my right femur three inches shorter than my left femur. Um, so this was a big shock to everyone, including my mother. Uh, she, you know, there's rarely, even when I had my son, it, I, I was not prepared to have anything less than a perfect baby. You know, all the movies and everything, uh, the soap operas, they always show perfect little babies being born immediately. And that was not me. Uh, after the initial shock wore off, she thought it was time to see what she could do about this shorter leg. She took me to the, a doctor, and the doctor told her to cut it off. Cut off the leg, just because it was shorter. My mom was outraged. She didn't know what to think. Um, it, kind of barbaric, right? This, we're talking about the 80s, not that long ago. I mean, I turned 40 this year. So, um, needless to say, there's been a lot of medical advances since then. Um, but, so, back in that time, doctors were revered as basically gods, almost. Whatever the doctor said was the law. Like, you didn't second-guess a doctor. You did what he said, and that was it. My mom, though, knew that that was not the way. And she grabbed me and said, peace out. Like, that's not, I'm not going to do that. She took me to another doctor. That second doctor told her to cut it off too. She was appalled and disappointed, and I'm sure that she probably lost some hope too. Um, but she did not. She took me and ran. Uh, she started to lose hope. However, she was very resourceful. She found ways to try to make me have a somewhat normal childhood. She, had she went to a cobbler, and she had special shoes created for me. Uh, my right shoe had a lift of about three inches, a little bit over three inches made. Uh, you know, I had Pee Wee Herman shoes because the Spice Girls weren't around then, so it wasn't cool yet. <laughs> so my very first pair of shoes have this huge lift on, on it. Um, but I was able to walk using both legs. Um, a co-worker of hers told her about an amazing doctor, supposedly, that was in, at Miami Children's Hospital um, doing some cool things. And she was hesitant to take me. She's like, oh, he's just going to tell me the same thing that all the other ones have told me. I don't need to take her to that. Eventually, they wore her down, and she took me. And this guy, Dr. Schaffelberger, told her, thank goodness you did not cut off her leg. Right now, I don't have anything for her. However, let's keep in touch. And as soon as I do, I'll let you know. So again, my mom trying to find a way to, for me to live a normal life, she put me in ballet. Probably not the best thing, you know, considering, you know, like the pointy shoes with a big lift, that does not work. She put me in tennis camp. That was probably not the best thing to do either. 
She took me to swim camp. That, that was great. I loved that. And countless other types of summer activities. Um, piano lessons, all of that good stuff. Around my fifth birthday, Dr. Schoffelberger fulfilled his promise to my mother and gave her a call and said, come on in. I think we have something for her. He wanted me to be part of an experimental surgery to lengthen my femur. My dad, he wasn't buying it. But my mom saw the opportunity and took it. I was the very first one at Miami Children's Hospital to have an experimental surgery to lengthen my femur. It was a scary and painful event as a five-year-old. And I can only imagine how scary and painful it was for her as a mother to hand her only child over to complete strangers that really had no idea what the hell they were doing. But somehow, she knew that this was the way. I had a total of two femur lengthening procedures, which resulted in four surgeries uh, before I was 12. At 12 years old, I had uh, a final surgery that went through cutting the growth plate on my left knee to stop my left leg from growing because the reason my right femur was shorter was because it was not growing at the same pace as my left leg. So that surgery prevented me from having yet another very painful and very involved and intense lengthening surgery. Um, so yeah, I've been 5'3 since I was 12 years old. I'm the shortest one in my family. I should have been a lot taller, but that's okay. Um, all of these procedures were always followed by months and at times years of very painful physical therapy and recovery. And yet somehow my mom knew to give me an amazing childhood. During those difficult form formative years, in between surgeries and recoveries, back and forth these cycles, I gave my mom countless headaches. I was a tomboy, always outside, super active. After one of my femur surgeries, with four steel pins coming out of my leg, a machine outside called an external fixator. My mom came home from work to find me roller skating in the backyard. <laughs> Another time, she found me swimming in the lake out back, just asking for an infection with these open wounds that I had. Um, her solution, which was pretty brilliant on her part, was to buy me a Nintendo. <laughs> I lost count how many times I saved Princess Peach. I lost count of how many ducks I shot playing duck hunt. My parents divorced when I was 10, and I stopped seeing my dad when I was 12. That's a whole other story for another memoirs. Shortly after I graduated high school, I decided to move out on my own. Not because I hated my mom or my stepdad. I loved them very much and I still do to this day. I just wanted my independence. That is, after all, what my mom raised me to be. 
independent. I wanted my own stuff, my own place, my own plates. My mom was criticized by the family, that Catholic family, how a good little Spanish girl is supposed to stay home and live with her parents until she gets married. But she knew that she should support me, and she did. I owe my life and the way that it looks like today all to my mother. When we're kids, we think our parents, our mothers probably more so, know it all. Being a mom myself now, I understand that she didn't know anything. She was just doing the best she could and being strong for me, trying to lead by example. She would try to clean my wounds and couldn't bear to look at them. She would sit next to me and watch me clean them for myself. One time while she bathed me, I slipped and fell in the tub on those steel pins, those same four steel pins. I saw the blood drain from her face as the water turned red. And she had to gather her composure to get me out there dressed and onto the hospital to make sure that everything was okay. I have many stories of things that I've had to tell her and share with her that she's had to listen to me. And as a, as a mom, you know, I, ca I can't believe that it would be easy for her to endure these stories. During my first surgery, she, during my first surgery, no one knew what was going on. So when it was time to take off those four steel pins from my leg, the doctor scheduled it as an outpatient procedure in his office instead of in the hospital, in an operating room. And he brought out a box and unwrapped it like a Christmas present in the doctor's in his office. And it was a hand drill that he was going to hand drill those four steel pins out of my leg without anesthesia. When I was 10 and I had my second surgery, I told them that they would not be able to touch me unless they would put me under when it was time to take out those four steel pins again. And so they agreed to do that. And during that surgery, when I, they were removing the steel pins off, off of my leg, I woke up in the middle of the operating room. And I jumped, basically I sat up from the table. And I saw all of the doctors and the anesthesiologists on the far side of the room. They all immediately looked at me. And the anesthesiologist, I remember, running towards me, counting backwards. And I had to tell this to my mother. And I, I looked down while all this was happening. I see my bloody leg. Those are things that you don't forget. And again, that I had to recount to my mom. And I can't imagine that that would have been an easy experience for her to hear. When it was time for me to have my own son, she stayed in the delivery room with me until the final moment, because she couldn't bear to see that either. She stayed home with me 
to help me, teach me how to be a mom. When at only 20 years old, I had never even touched a baby. The first time my son threw up all over me and I screamed and cried, she came running from the other room to see what was wrong, only to laugh at me as she saw me with my son like this and crying, <laughs> all full of vomit. Most recently, the day before, Flip and I packed up our lives in Miami to drive cross country to make a new life for ourselves here in Colorado Springs. I asked my mom to come and say goodbye. She called me and begged me, Maricita, please don't make me go. I'm not strong enough. If she only knew that she's the strongest person I've ever known. Thank you. that strong or what? Right, so we're going to take a 10-15 minute break, but we are going to look to see if there's any anonymous memoirs back there. There's none? Hey, you guys have some secrets. Get them in that basket. So take 10-15 minutes, go refill drinks, get more food, meet some more people that love stories, share stories with each other, and we will be back soon. All right, somebody tell all the people that are getting four and five drinks that uh, it's time to tell some more stories. Garrett, would you do me a favor? You're not next, but yes, bring me that thing. <laughs> bring me that basket of anonymous memoirs. <clears throat> all right, let's see here. We've got some secrets. Who wants to hear some secrets? Okay, so, hmm, <laughs> that, that I miss you every moment of every day. I love you more than words can say. I guess that's a message to somebody's mom. How sweet is that? All right, so where's all my people? I need the people back. Go tell them. Go tell them to come back. Who's an assertive, strong person? Tell them, get back in here. <laughs> And for those of you that are in here, let me just remind you, if you want to become a storyteller, email us at memoirscos at gmail.com. Follow us on the socials, Facebook and the gram, memoircos. Keep your eyes out for that podcast. Keep putting in those anonymous memoirs. And I think it's time to call up Miss or Mrs., Miss Kat Harp, whose title of her talk today is My Mom is a Superhero. So let's put our hands together for Kat. Wow, before you go on, you get to read one. 
Kat's going to read one for all of us. Little short here. <laughs> Great. There you go. All right. So this one, this one says, "Mom, give me my <laughs> damn Pokemon cards back. I can, <laughs> I can pay off my house with those things. I mean, hey, you know." Is Brandon Kirk here? <laughs> all right. It's all yours. All right, so my parents are actually here tonight. I did not tell my mom what this was all about, and so I apologize for any tears in advance. It's my bad. But I do love you, so. <laughs> so I'm convinced that my mom is a superhero. Now, I may be exposing her secret, but she deserves a little bit of light shed on her incredible powers. I don't know her heroine name, and if I had some to give her one, it would be something along the lines of Golden Heart Goddess. I imagine her as some sort of Wonder Woman, as if she's emulating some sort of feminine energy with a fierce drive to conquer the world and protect those that are closest to her at all costs. Uh, she has a heavy heart from the turmoils of life, but I believe that this is her power. It is her power to carry that and still give to those that she loves the most as if life were simple and perfect. In my eyes, she glides through life with ease as if she's flying just inches above the ground, spreading positivity and love and motherly care to anybody that needs it. She is ready to respond to any evil that arises and willing to drop absolutely everything to conquer the unwanted demons of the, the uh, unwanted demons that are entering into the lives of those that she cares for the most. With this superpower of hers, nothing phases her. As I've gotten older, I've started to realize the superpower that she has recognizing the burdens that she carries and the, the, uh, the hardships that she has been through and still coming out the other side unscathed, she is a superhero. Now, as a kid, my dad was in the Army. He was gone a lot of the time on deployments and trainings. He was fighting for our country and our freedom. And as a military wife, my mom held down the fort and she built up our family so that when my dad came home, we could enjoy every single second we had with him. Many times I heard my mom call herself the bad guy because she was the one to deal with the family life and she was the one that did a lot of the raising of me and my brother, handling all of our fights, all of our school problems, our discipline, she went to all of our soccer meets, football, tennis, cheerleading. We were in every single sport. She went to all the parent-teacher conferences, all the competitions, all of the science fairs, everything like that, as if she's cloned herself. But she's not the bad guy. <laughs> she's a superhero. 
And now this doesn't mean that my dad took a back seat. My mom was very tactful in bringing him in on all of the child rearing so that we had a present father in our life even though he was away sometimes. Uh, not that we were difficult or anything like that. We were very good kids. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> but she's not the bad guy. She's a superhero. And now, she was really good at bringing my dad in on a child rearing so that we had a present father in our lives, even though that sometimes he was away. She brought him in on all the decisions, all of the good things, so that he didn't have to worry about home life, and so that he could come home to us and stay alive on the front lines. And so he could come home to us afterwards. Now, I call myself a daddy's girl, but I am my mother's daughter. My mom is very pure, and accepting. I came out to her when I was 16 years old. I told her that I was going to homecoming with a girl. Now this was a little bit of a surprise to her because I always had little boyfriends. But she never made me feel like I was doing something wrong. The media was full of hate crimes and people getting beat and even killed because they were gay. And now this made my mom very nervous but she never made me feel like I was doing something wrong. She was supporting me, and she supported me every single step of the way. Also during this time, her mother had just passed, my brother had just entered into the army, and then my dad had just gotten shipped off to another deployment. In other words, my timing was impeccable. <laughs> But her superpower gave her the ability to handle this part of our lives and still be there for each and every single one of us as if life were simple and perfect and she never faltered. All of that stress and that emotion and everything would like crush any normal human being. She is a superhero. Now at 20, I saw a crack, but her power never leaked out. My brother passed away unexpectedly. Now, losing a child is not something that I understand, but I can imagine it is the worst feeling that a mother can feel. That night was devastating. Getting a call from my brother's friend, saying that he had been in an accident and he needs his, my parents' number immediately. I gave him their number quickly and I started to drive home. Shortly after, I got a phone call from my mom saying that I needed to get home as soon as I could and that something has happened to Caleb. Arriving at home felt like I was stepping into a world of chaos and uncertainty. My parents were on the phone trying to get any kind of information they could to see if their son was still alive. And then waiting. The waiting felt like eternity. Tears were flowing from our eyes as if a dam had broken and nothing we could do to fix it. 
Tears are falling into empty hands, covering our faces in in disbelief of what was happening. But our hands weren't empty for very long. Enter the superhero. In a fog of hopelessness and dysphoria came my mother's embrace, as if she was holding on to her life with everything that she had. Holding herself together so that we didn't break as a family. She is a superhero. I remember laying in bed, wrapped in my mother's arms, and I just asked if we could go see him. If we could just get on a plane and go see him right now. And calmly, and with tears rolling down her cheeks, she said, No, baby. The next few weeks are a blur to me. But my mom is a doer. (laughs) Do what has to be done. We have a picture of my brother right after he graduated from basic training where he's kneeling next to a plaque that has this quote, do what has to be done. I feel that my mom has taken this statement and it has fueled her power even further. She gave us strength when she she had nothing left. She was dripping love and care into our hearts when love was taken away from her. She is a superhero. At 23, I went through a divorce. I married a woman who I had been with for about four years, and my world came crashing down when she told me that she didn't want to be with me anymore because she felt like we were too different. My parents are high school sweethearts, and so divorce is a concept that I couldn't grasp. I fell into a whirlpool of alcohol and bad habits because I felt like I couldn't handle this part of my lives. I was hiding my emotions. (laughs) Once again, enter the superhero. At this point, I was living with my parents. I was coming home late from bars and then waking up the next day just to do it all again. I was stumbling through life and my mom recognized this standing in the background, allowing me to navigate this part of my life while still, like, still, uh, while still making sure that I wasn't falling any further. She was always in the shadows, as if she was a vigilante, wanting to help me escape this period of my life, but knowing that I had to do the growing on my own. She let me come to her, but I didn't. Not for a while. Instead, I unleashed my drunken rage on her multiple times and said many things that I didn't actually mean. I made my mother cry. And while my mother was crying and her heart was breaking, she was still filling me with the love and the attention that I needed but I didn't deserve. A mother's love for a child should be unconditional, right? But how do you do that when it feels like your child is making every single wrong turn and then you end up being the collateral damage? When all you want to do is help them 
and then you get hurt along the way, and then you stand up strong the next day just to tell them you are going to be okay. I promise you are going to be okay. This, these words from my mother, they ring in my head as if it's a mantra. And then when I feel like something is going wrong or my life is going the wrong direction, I hear my mother's words in my head. I promise you are going to be okay. She is a superhero. Right before I turned 24, I got into an accident. I was starting on a better path. I was heavily limiting my drinking, and I was also opening up to my mom a lot more. I felt like I was doing great in life, and then I made a bad decision. I decided to go to see some of my friends, and then I decided to drive home very late at night when I should have stayed. I wasn't drinking or anything like this, but I was very tired, and in my sleepy haze, I missed a stop sign. I flew into a ditch, and I crushed my leg and had compression fractures in my lower back. And when I felt like I was on my way out of this dark tunnel in my life, I was thrown into the hospital for multiple weeks, and then I was accompanied by multiple surgeries and a very long road to recovery. I was conscious the whole time that I was in my accident. And when I came to a stop, my parents were the first people that I called. I told them that I had been in a crash and that I was dialing 911. I was frantic and my service was very spotty because I was in Black Forest. But it came across my mother's voice and her voice was so calm. And I remember this. And once I got off the phone, the calmness of her voice gave me the clarity of what I needed to do. My car was smoking. And for fear of my, my car catching on fire, I slid myself across the field and I dialed 911. I was talking to the operator and she was telling me to listen to the sirens, listen for the sirens, because they couldn't find me. I didn't know where I was. And as I was laying there, I was looking up into the stars and I heard my mom's voice. I promise you're going to be okay. My parents arrived about the same time that the paramedics found me, and the look of fear on my mom's face sent guilt rushing through my body. I'm sorry. And then I thought, fuck. <laughs> they had just lost one of their, like, their, their kids, their only other child, and now I'm doing this to them? You're going to be okay, my mom kept saying. I remember her being so calm in a situation that was so terrifying. <laughs> she is a superhero. My mother has been through a lot. And she still stands strong next to me, holding my hand, letting me know that I will never be alone. She has never been crumpled by the stress of this life. And she always sees the bright side of things. 
With this power of hers, she is the unbreakable light in the darkness. She is a superhero. She is my superhero. Thank you. I knew all this mother stuff was going to be strong. Man, we're going to have to have a funny one next time. <laughs> and I see the anonymous things coming. Let's see. Pick one for me, please, dear. Bam. Mother, I loved you even after you stopped loving me. Ooh. All right. Here, that's for you, too. So we have another 10, 15-minute break. Go refill. Go give Cat and Cat's mom a big hug. Keep filling these things in over here, and we will be back in a short while. Thank you very much. All right, Colorado Springs, we're back. Can somebody... Let's see, look. My wife knows me so well, I didn't even have to ask. You're so amazing. Thank you, dear. All right, so before we call our last speaker up, let's read one of these. So here's our next anonymous memoirs. It says, I wish my mom knew that I would have forgiven her for leaving me. Wow, everybody's very hardcore today with this topic. I need, definitely going to need a funny one next time. So now, let's remind everybody you can find us on the socials at Memoirs, COS, at Facebook and the Instagram. And all right, our next speaker is Garrett Goggins. And the title of his story is, She Should Know, She Always Knew. So, Garrett, please come on up. Read one of these while you're at it. That was a long one. You got a novel. Got a novel. There are a lot of funny stories I could tell, but I'll save those for when my mom isn't sitting right next to me on the other hand. On the other hand, there was a rough night when a fight broke out among my mom and sister, and later that night when everybody was asleep, I heard her cry. I can tell you mothers don't know their kids know everything and see everything, and a kid's love is just as unconditional as a mother's. All right. So like everybody, I'm going to have to go back because, you know, that's where moms start, right? Back, way back. <laughs> I'm only going to go back to when I was 16, though. And it's important. this is an important year because you really have to understand who my mother was, who I was, and where my frame of mind was at the age of 16. See, I grew up in what most would consider, except for maybe Maritza here, um, a strict religious household. Um, and I, again, that's a matter of perspective because some might actually look the way my sister and I were raised and find it normal. But I have been told that 
Some think that my upbringing was borderline cultish. <laughs> and um, when I was a teenager, I really didn't have a lot of friends outside of the church. And that was because, in, in, in my mind, that was because we, were, we really weren't allowed to do a lot of the things that the normal kids were allowed to do. So dances, dances was a, a big no-no. And so from my mind as a 16-year-old kid, it was because dances were the breeding ground for sin. And if you were going to be that close to someone of the opposite sex, you might as well be having sex. Um, yeah, see? <laughs> Yeah. I mean, and some of those dances, they could be pretty damn close. Um, but some events that we could go to, like sporting events and things like that, we weren't allowed to go to those because they usually fell on a night that we were in church. So that, again, in my 16-year-old mind, it felt like we were in church more often than we were not. So we had Sunday morning service, Sunday evening service, Wednesday prayer meeting, Friday praise and worship service, Saturday prayer meeting, and youth services in between. So we were in church a lot. And my mother was a huge part of the church, so she, she did the adult Sunday school class. She was in the choir. She led a lot of those Friday praise and worship services, so church was just a big thing with us. And like Maritza, dating was a big no-no, right? That was a big thing that we couldn't do, and I had to explain this to people who asked me about dating, that um, dating was the devil's playground, right? So dating led to holding hands, holding hands led to kissing, kissing led to sex. And sex was only for adults or for marriage, right? And so in our church, God was going to choose our spouse from someone who was in the church. So dating was a pointless event, something that just never happened. And there were times that I wouldn't, in high school, I wouldn't talk to girls. I wouldn't talk to, because a lot of the kids that went to my church also went to my high school. And so I was pretty sure that if I crossed that boundary, my mother was going to find out about it. And how did I know that? Because every time I crossed that boundary, my mother found out about it. <laughs> she knew. She, she always knew. So you have to understand, as a teenager, my frustration, right? I was a 16-year-old kid that just longed for this normal teenage life, but I always had to push that longing aside because I was more fearful of the repercussions that were going to happen if I ever chose to cross that line. And then oftentimes there were embarrassing moments. Now, I, don't, I don't know what it is about sports in high school, but girls, guys, when they're in sports, there always seems to be these dating opportunities, right? So when I was running cross country or track, obviously dating opportunities were going to rise. And my first came with Patricia. Patricia was a um, really good-looking girl in my biology class. <laughs> And she decided one day that she was going to, to pass me this 10-page love letter that expressed her undying infatuation for me. But that undying infatuation fizzled out pretty damn quickly when I had to respond with, dating's against my religion. And it didn't take long to find out how much of a bullshit response she thought that was because... Shortly after that, the rumors of me being gay began to cycle through the high school. <laughs> and not that I thought being gay was bad, right? I mean, at that time, it was 1990, the high school I went to, um, probably not the greatest thing to be, but that wasn't the point. The point was that I wasn't, and I wanted so desperately to prove that I wasn't. 
So, I eventually got over that, that stigma right there, right? And I got my first job. I was flipping hamburgers at Wendy's. I got my first car. It was a silver Plymouth Reliant. Not exactly the vehicle of a baller, but I was stepping up in life, right? I had this new status. How do I know that? Interesting fact. Do you know what girls in high school like more than guys in sports? Guys in sports with cars and a job. Yeah. But it's not like I could have acted on this status, right? Or I wouldn't have acted on the status. That is until Christina. Oh, Christina. <laughs> Christina, I refer to her as my Latina goddess. She was really good friends with Cece, a coworker of mine at Wendy's. And they would come into the restaurant every now and again. And I don't know if you guys have ever experienced this movie quality, slow motion that happens when someone walks into the room. But Christina could pull that shit off every single time. <laughs> she would come up to the counter and she would order her food and I had to snap myself back out of this whatever land I was in because she got me all kinds of a Twitter pated, right? And she would order her food, she would get her food, and then she would leave. Except for this one night, Friday. Friday, they left, and then Cece came back into the restaurant and said, Hey, Garrett, Garrett, we're having a party, and Christina really wants you to go. And at first, I was like, Say what? Are you for reals? And then the wheel started spinning, right? I was like, Okay, I'm closing tonight. So I'll be out of work about 1, 1.30. Mom is going to be asleep for sure, and I'm pretty positive I can sneak into the basement window without anybody ever knowing. <laughs> so hell yeah, this is going down, right? This is going down. And I went, went to the party, had a great time, got to hang out with the goddess Christina. <laughs> but the only thing that went down that night was the sound of my mother's voice coming from my sister's window as I was getting caught sneaking into the basement window. <laughs> Now in the Bible, um, King Solomon talks about the rod of correction. And I'm going to paraphrase here, but basically it says, those who spare the rod hate their children. <laughs> those who love their children are careful to discipline. The rod in my family came into the form of a black, thick leather belt. And I was pretty damn sure my mom was going to show me how much she loved me that night. <laughs> But it, it didn't matter, right? Because all I could think about was Christina. <laughs> I, I went to bed that night and thought it would be like to date Christina, to hold hands with Christina, to kiss Christina, to do other things with Christina. I, I was a 16-year-old with hormones, right? So don't judge. <laughs> One thing you're going to find out about me is that I, more often than not, have to find things out on my own. Now, you can tell me every day of the week, twice on Sunday, that something is bad for me. It won't matter. I have to have the experience. So at the age of 16, I decided that I was going to go out and I was going to figure this shit out on my own. <laughs> Why not, right? I need the experiences. 
And I was damn sure going to have an experience with Christina. <laughs> so I left. I ran. I ran from, from religion. I, I ran from my home. And I ran from my mother. And I had an experience with Christina. It lasted about two and a half weeks. But I had another experience. Freedom. So what does a 16-year-old with freedom do? Any damn thing I wanted. <laughs> High school at that point was even holding me back from the experiences I wanted in life. So I ran from that too. And I chased one experience after another. Interestingly enough, all these experiences that I was going after and I was having, if it went against what my mother believed, she always found out about it. She always knew. I would get these random calls. Hey, Garrett, when did you start smoking? You think you're cool now? Hey, Garrett, why'd you get your ear pierced? You think you're cool now? Hey, Garrett, you need to call your dad and tell him how much of a druggie you are before I call and do it for you. That, this was an interesting one because I was actually living with my dad in Kentucky at the time. And like some has said, that's a whole other story for a whole other time. But on this occasion, I decided that I was going to travel back to Colorado. The idea was I was going to spend Saturday with my mother. Because at this time, we were talking, kind of-ish. Saturday night, I was supposed to spend with my friends. And then Sunday morning, I would drive back to Kentucky. And everything was going great. Everything was going good. Spent the time with my mom. We didn't argue much. <laughs> I went out with my friends, and that was going great, too, until someone pulled out a bag of shrooms. <laughs> Never done them before, but obviously I'm all about the freaking experiences, right? <laughs> and boy, did I have one. <laughs> so that night was pretty much spent with my friends talking me out of a really bad trip. And that trip didn't end, because when I woke up in the morning, I got a phone call from my mother telling me to tell, call my dad and tell him that I was a druggie. Now, I wasn't by any stretch of the imagination, but she always seemed to know. Now, at this time, though, I'm getting a little irritated. I'm 18, 19 years old. I'm an adult. I can do what I want, live the life I want, and it's none of her business. And we don't have that greatest of a relationship anyways, so why even have one at all? And over the next few years, that's exactly what happened. Any relationship that we had just dwindled to absolutely nothing. I could even fast forward 20 years from that point and remember one of the few times that I saw my mother in person was at my grandmother's funeral. And we really had nothing to say to each other. I can fast forward again another 15 years. And at this point, I had a lot of downs in my life just a lot of extreme downs, and I was tired. I was so very tired of these failed relationships. I've been divorced once, about to be divorced again. Lost jobs, lost hopes, lost dreams. And I came to this realization at that point that this guy right here had a lot of changing, a lot of things, work that needed to be done within me. And so I dove into personal development now, and I say this, and I believe it's true, that if you do personal development right, it turns into personal discovery. 
you begin to discover who it is you believe yourself to be, who it is you want to be, and then you can begin this transition of this current self into that higher self, but it takes change. It takes change here and a shitload of change right here. And with that change, something really interesting happens, right? You begin to view things a lot differently. I began to understand that all this animosity, all this frustration, and all these other slew of negative emotions that I had towards my mother were really nothing more than a projection of something that was coming from inside me, and that was guilt. See, every single time that my mother found out about something that I was doing that she wouldn't have agreed with, it wasn't the fact that I cared that she knew. It was because I knew it was killing her. It had to be. It was going against everything that she ever believed in, right? And here's the thing about belief. It's powerful, crazy powerful. Everything that we do is based off of our belief system. It's what drives us. And so however strong her belief system was in this religion, my idea that I wasn't going to buy into it was equally as strong. And so our responses to each other were, were borderline toxic. But we had this one common ground, and that was love. And we may not have expressed it very much. It may have been more on a subconscious level, but it was there. It had to have been there. And I firmly believe that it was that love that spawned this guilt that was inside of me. Now, I'm not going to say that I was guilty, I felt guilty about the things that I had done in life because I also firmly, firmly believe that spirituality, religion, all that stuff is a very personal choice, right? It's not something that we can push on to somebody else. And I had to go through these experiences to really find out what my belief system was going to be. So no, I don't feel guilty about that. But I do feel guilty about how it made her feel. And I had to carry that guilt around for, for decades. So when I was going through this personal discovery journey, that guilt had to go. It had to, because guilt's a blocker. Because the interesting thing about guilt is that it tells you that you're not good enough. You're not worthy. You don't deserve this. And it does it in a very interesting way, right? It lets you get so far up that success ladder, and it just rips your ass back down and says, psych, just kidding. <laughs> you don't deserve that. So guilt had to go. And I did. I released it. And then I found out something else, that these blockers that we have in life, like guilt, they really tend to distort our perception on things. And if we can begin to look at life events without that filter, you have some crazy aha moments. Like, what would my relationship be with my mother? What would, what would it be like if amongst all these things she was finding out about me that she didn't want to know, she was finding some things about me that weren't so bad? sure, I was chasing these experiences, right? But there were lines that I would not cross. And that was because she instilled this deep sense of morality. I have morals that wouldn't let me do things. It kept me back. So what if she knew about some of those things? My mother, over the years, had gone through a lot of changes as well. She still has this foundational belief in Christianity. She just expresses it differently. I now have a foundational belief in Christianity. I just don't necessarily buy into the organized religion aspect of it very often. And I think that we have come to this point, I don't know if we just accept each other's whatever it is or we just ignore it, I don't know, but we really have started to develop this relationship. And it's not strong, deep, 
by any sense of the imagination, but it's there. Now, a few years ago, uh, my mother had a stroke, and it could have been much worse than it was, but it's a stroke, so it was still pretty bad. And to watch her go through that, I realized something, that some amends had to be made for two reasons. I mean, one, just like the guilt, right? It's a blocker. When you hold on to this stuff, it blocks you. It, it keeps you from moving forward in life. And for two, we're not guaranteed the time to make that amends. And so I was going through life with this false belief that my mother knew things of how I felt because she knew, she always knew. But how could she? Because I was also under this belief that when we build boundaries, it automatically means that we have to build walls. And I started to discover that that's not true. We can hold space for our loved ones in, in, a, in a capacity that we can have meaningful relationships. The boundaries are just set to what we respond to. And so I set out to have that space with my mother. So what should my mother know? Well, she should know that I never stopped loving her. From 16 to I'll be 47, Jesus, I'll be 47 next month. I never stopped loving her. In fact, I have a deep respect for her, a deep respect for her strength, for her tenacity, for her fortitude, a deep respect for this woman that could stand so strong in her belief and yet be so vulnerable. And I think the most important thing, though, that she should know is that this guy, who I am, the man that I am today, I attribute to the lessons that she taught me as a youth and not in spite of them. So these are all things that my mother should know. She doesn't. She doesn't. So tonight, I'm going to make this pledge in front of all of you. And you can hold me accountable. You, don't, you cannot. It doesn't matter. But I'll make this pledge. That all these things that my mother should know, by the end of this week, she will. So one more time, give all of our speakers a round of applause. They were so amazing, so amazing. And now we can announce next month's theme. Hopefully it's funnier than this one. <laughs> so next month's theme is going to be schools out. So if that touches you in any way, if you have any schools out stories of in between elementary, in between middle school, grad school, whatever, whenever school was out, contact us and get on this stage. The email is memoirscos at gmail.com. Same thing on the Facebook and the gram. I just love saying the gram. <laughs> the thing is that what's it a gram of? <laughs> All right. Aside from that, thank you, Colorado Springs. Memoirs has been amazing. Please like us on the Facebook and the gram so you can know uh, what's coming up next. All the speakers, I'd like for you to come up here so we can take a picture. And... All of the rest of you, we're going to put some music on and let's uh, celebrate life while we still can.